How many of you stayed up late last night watching the game? Who played? <laughs> okay. What time did the game end? 12.30? And y'all got here for the 9.15 service? Congratulations. I bet some of y'all are tired. I've already seen a few of you doing this right here. <sighs> some of you have already started looking at your watch. When's this guy going to get finished? Any of you tired this morning? Nobody. Uh, Tim's, Tim's wide awake. He had three cups of coffee before he got here. All right. You know what? I, I try to pay attention to things like commercials on TV because commercials tend to tell us what we're worried about. People are wanting us to spend our money to fix our problems with their products. And so as I watch TV, what I've noticed lately is there's a lot of commercials on TV for mattresses. How many of you have a really great set of mattresses at home? We don't. Ours are horrible, okay? Ours are terrible mattresses. So we, we see these commercials come on. And do you remember a few years ago, or maybe it's more than that, but it used to be the commercial of the man jumping on the bed, and there's like a, a glass of wine sitting on the bed, and it's not falling over, and that's supposed to be the perfect bed, you know? And then it was the, the, the memory foam mattresses that NASA came up with the technology, and then the, the, the self-adjusting sleep number beds. Now the big thing is the beds in a box. Have you ever seen these? My, my, my mother has sent several of these for my kids, uh, and, and it, it, it's just this box. It's this square, tall box, and it comes, and, and you open the cardboard, and, and it's like this little paper-thin mattress, it looks like, and you cut the plastic off of it, and it goes, and it comes out, and, and all of a sudden, it's a, it's a full-size mattress. It's amazing. If you watch TV, there's all kinds of advertisements for all kinds of different beds that you can get, okay? And every one of them promises the best sleep of your life. The other day, I was in Walmart, and I walked past the end cap, and there's a, a, a thing for it's called My Pillow. You know how much you, you have to pay to get My Pillow? Fifty bucks for a pillow? My wife buys the two and three dollar ones and she just throws them away about once a month and gets a new one. Apparently, we have an epidemic of tired people on our hands. Have you ever been in a gas station and looked around the counter at all the different uh, 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 energy pills and energy drinks that they offer? They've got an entire case of nothing but energy drinks. Why are we so tired? What is it that makes us so tired? How have you been resting lately? Are you tired? Do you need a break? Is your Christmas break, uh, or, or do you need a vacation from your Christmas vacation? Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to getting back to work, getting back into the routine, you know? But look. We, we have an epidemic of tired people on our hands. Everywhere we go, we're just tired. But is it just a physical thing? Is it just physical or is it more than that? Does it go deeper than something a mattress or a pillow or a pill can fix? Are you tired in your soul? 
Jesus was speaking. And he said, come to me, all who are, heavy, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. How many of you today hear that and say, wow, I wish I could have that kind of rest. I wish I could experience that. Over the past year, went through a lot. And I found myself at a place where I realized just how weary my soul was. I was broken to the point that I couldn't do anything for myself, much less for anybody else. As a pastor, you know, we have to be strong and just push through things, right? We're supposed to be bulletproof, Mike, and we never show weakness. But guess what? Pastors can get tired too. We're humans, just like everybody else. And I learned that as important as rest is for the body, it's exponentially more necessary for your souls. So I began the study. What does it really mean to rest? What does the Bible have to say about rest? When Jesus says, I'll give you rest, what exactly is he talking about? What does it mean? Does it mean he's just going to help you sleep better? Or is it something more important than that? And so I began to look at it. And so if you go back and you look in the history of the people of God, go back into uh, uh, Exodus and start looking at the story of the people of God while they were in Israel, you will find out why they were tired in the first place. Go back to the book of Exodus and you began reading about how in the, book, in the end of the book of Genesis... Uh, uh, Jacob and his 12 sons ended up in Israel and their families. And over hundreds of years, they grew in number and, and they became a large people. And so Pharaoh enslaved them because he was afraid of them. And so what do slaves have to do? They work. So Pharaoh said, you're going to work so that you can't do anything else. And he made them start working. And they had to make bricks. And then they wanted to be free because they were tired of working for someone as a slave. They were doing all of the work. They were getting none of the reward. And Pharaoh said, what? Yeah, obviously, you're not working hard enough. I'll make you work even harder. And so he began to press them harder and harder. And they cried out to God. And they said, God, we're tired. Where are you? Can you please help us? We need a break. And so, in Exodus 33, 14, God is speaking to Moses as Moses is taking the people out. And God says this, My presence shall go with you from where you are to where you're going. He says, My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Wow. Wow. That sounds really good because I don't like living where I'm a slave. I'm doing all of this hard work. I don't get paid for it. I get treated like dirt. I'm abused. I, I, I'm powerless. I'm tired all the time. And God, you say you're going you're gonna to give me rest? Yes, absolutely. And so they left Egypt with the promise of a new land. 
A land flowing with milk and honey. A land where they could be a people and they could worship God and be in relationship with God and where they could make their own living and where they could enjoy the fruits of their labor and they could find rest. What a wonderful promise that they had. The people of God, or the people of Israel, found out that God was absolutely faithful when they finally experienced what he had promised them. Now, there's a lot that happened in between there, and, and that's for another day. But when the people finally got to the promised land, they left slavery in Egypt, and eventually they made it to the promised land. God said, here's the land that I'm giving to you. They walked in, and, and just think, like, I, I lived in Oklahoma for a while, okay? And where the college was that I went to in Oklahoma was an old Sooner lot. You know what those were? Those were the land rush uh, lots. And the people who got those in the land rush, literally, whoever got there first could have it. And they had the original things on, uh, framed on the wall. I think it was maybe President uh, Teddy Roosevelt. His signature was on it, maybe. Okay? When they got that land, it was a vacant lot. Okay? They had to do everything. God said to the people of Israel, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. But when you get there, guess what? It's not going to be a vacant lot. There's going to be houses you didn't build and cities that you didn't design. There's going to be fields full of crops ready to harvest that you didn't plant. When you get there, everything you need will be waiting on you. They walked into an all-inclusive package deal through the faithfulness of God. God said, I will give you rest. I will give you freedom. I will allow you to be in relationship with me without concern or worry. Here you go. What a beautiful thing they experienced. In Joshua it says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers, and they possessed and lived in it. And the Lord, listen to this, gave them rest, on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. The people finally enjoyed a rest where someone else had done all the rework, but they received the reward. What a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of God. How many of you would like to experience something like that? Well, there's a problem. If you continue reading in the Old Testament, what you will see is that Israel didn't stay at rest. There were some problems that started cropping up. Go back and you start reading in the book of Judges and you begin to see a cycle going on. The people grew tired again because they would become disobedient to God. They would become discontent with the life that God had given them, and they would try to do things their own way, and they would be conquered. They would be afflicted by other people, and God would raise up a judge, and it would say, and they would have rest for the next 40 years, and the next generation rebelled. And it became the cyclical thing that kept going on and on in the nation of Israel. God would send a hero, he would raise up, God would give them rest, and then they would go back. Eventually, the nation 
after reaching its height under the rule of King David, would be divided. Each of the parts in their own time would end up being conquered by foreign powers, their people carried off into captivity. And the rest that God had given them would be squandered. And now, for 400 years, it's been quiet. And they've been saying once again, God, we're tired. God, we're tired. God, we can't keep going like this. We've been conquered by the Romans. We're not free anymore. We have these heavy taxes we have to pay. We live under somebody else's thumb. We're a military-occupied state. God, we're tired. We need something. And along comes Jesus. And along comes Jesus, and he looks at the situation, and he begins to do what the great physician does. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus begins to diagnose their condition. Go back in chapter 11 of Matthew. Verse 20 through 24. You can read that later on. This is right before what I read to you. But Jesus is, is talking about cities that he had went into and he had performed great miracles, showing them that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the promised one of God. He began to show them God's love for them and God's power to save them, and they rejected him. And Jesus said, you know what? If I had done the cities, if I had done those same miracles in cities like Sodom, if you're familiar with Sodom, a great sinful city that was destroyed by, 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 by God by fire from heaven. Okay? Hellfire and brimstone. That's what it said. Jesus said, if Sodom had have seen the things that I did, they would have repented. But you didn't. You are so disobedient and so unrepentant in your sin that when you saw the truth of God in front of you, you denied it. The first diagnosis that Jesus gave is you have a problem of disobedience. The second problem that he saw in Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 27, he began to talk about how there are people that God has not shown the truth to because they, they, they're not ready to receive it. I believe that Jesus was speaking about the religious people of the time who kept making up their own rules as they went. Jesus would talk about them. This is what it said there in Matthew 11. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed yourself to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. Jesus said there are some people out there that consider themselves wise and intelligent, and they consider themselves in the loop, but God, they are missing you completely. And that was the Pharisees, the religious people of the time. Having made his diagnosis of disobedience and discontent, Jesus then gives them that beautiful prescription that we read earlier. If you want to fix this problem, here's the answer. Come to me. Come to me. 
all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take up the yoke that I place on you because my burden is easy. My burden's light. Come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. There's the prescription. Jesus offers a greater rest where he is the one who has done the rework and you get the reward. See, it wasn't like the one that happened back in the Old Testament because that one didn't last. Jesus said, I have done something that will last forever that is good enough for all the people that had faith in God then, for all the people who have faith in God now, and for all the rest of time, everyone who puts their trust in God, my work is good enough to secure their reward. It's an all-inclusive package deal. Everything that you need to find rest for your souls, I've already done it, and I'm offering it to you. So what about us? What about us? What does this have to do with 21st century Central South Carolina? What's this have to do with us? I spent a lot of time in hospitals. And you know what doctors would fuss about when they were sitting around the dinner table, sitting around uh, chit-chatting before meetings? Just how much they hated when folks would walk into their office with their cell phone in their hand and say, you know, I was reading on Google the other day, and I've, I've got these symptoms, and I've got this headache and this blurred vision, and I've got all the, I, I just know I've got a brain tumor, doctor. And he would simply reach up and take their glasses off and clean them and put them back on and say, here, is that better? Oh, wow. Have you ever thought you had the problem figured out and it, it was just this horrible, horrible thing and then when you, you finally found out what it really was, it was nothing? I've been having headaches lately. I went to my eye doctor and I said, I, I just, my, my eyes hurt me all the time. I'm, I'm, my eyes are, just, you know, I just have headaches all the time. What's going on? She said, how old are you? I said, well, I'll be, I'll be 40. She said, okay, wait a minute. She jiggled some things on the, the, uh, the, the scope, and she put something right in front of my face, and she said, how's that? And I said, wow, that's great. She said, yeah, you need bifocals. <laughs> okay, so I guess I'm starting to get old now. Sometimes we think we know what the problem really is. Sometimes we think we have it all figured out, and we're wrong. <coughs> Do you find yourself weary and tired beyond what sleep can help? Maybe looking at the right information, maybe looking at what God has said about this will help diagnose your problem. He is the source of the answer that removes worry. So we begin with the problem. Are you weary in your soul? I see a lot of heads shaking. So either you're asleep and you're just bobbing, or you agree with me? Are you weary beyond what sleep can help? So, two questions that I ask. First of all, is there an area of disobedience in your life? That was the first problem that Jesus had when he was looking around. He said, you're disobedient people. 
Jeremiah 6.16 says this, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. God says if you walk in the way that you should walk, you will find rest for your souls. But we say, we don't want to do that. Now, some of you are thinking, you know what, Richard? I, I, got, I got saved a long time ago. I surrendered my life to Jesus, but I'm still tired. What does that mean? Could it be that there's an area of willful disobedience in your life that maybe you don't even call it that? Maybe you just call it a habit. Maybe you call it an attitude. Maybe you call it just a thought that you can't let go of. But there's something in your life somewhere that doesn't line up with God's word. Something that you're holding on to. Go back and you read in the, in, in, in the New Testament when Paul is writing to the churches in his letters. And he's telling you all the things that, that we should not see in the church. And of course you see you know, adultery and fornication and murder and thieving and all this. But then it gets into those nitpicky things that really get under our skin when he talks about it. Because he's talking about things like slander and gossip and backbiting and things like that. Maybe there's something in your life. And I'm not trying to tell you there is. You're asking this question before God and asking him to speak into your life. Is there anything in the way that I'm walking before you right now, God, that's keeping me from you? How dirty do you have to be before you're unclean? An honest question. How dirty do you have to be before you're unclean? You see, the priests, before they could go in the tabernacle and later in the temple, before they could go into the presence of God to deal with the sins of everyone around them, they had to make sure that they were clean first. Because you couldn't go into the presence of God dirty, by sin. Sin drives out God's presence. They can't exist in the same place. So when we allow sin to remain in our life, we call it other things. We don't like to call it sin. That makes us feel bad about it. But when we allow disobedience to remain in our life, it begins a separation between us and God. And I like to illustrate it like, like in a marriage. If I'm lying to my wife about something, she still loves me, but it hurts her deeply. And so it creates a separation between us. And it only gets worse the longer it goes on. God doesn't want anything between you and him. Maybe your tiredness, maybe your weariness is because of disobedience somewhere in your life. Ask the Lord to reveal that to you. Come to me is Jesus' first call. Come to him in repentance today. Get before the Lord. Isaiah 30, 15 says, For thus the Lord, the, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Second question that you can ask, maybe it's not an area of disobedience in your life. Maybe it's not something you're doing wrong. 
But maybe it's an area of discontentment. And what I mean by this is, are you being creatively righteous? Have you designed in your head what it means for you to be the kind of person that God has to love? And is that your pursuit over someone who's fully surrendered to God and putting your trust in him? Jesus said, my yoke is easy. What does that mean? He's contrasting it against somebody else's yoke that you've been trying to wear. Maybe you've been trying to live up to what your parents expect from you. Maybe your whole life. Maybe your parents aren't even around anymore and you're still trying to live up to their expectations for you in your life. And that's what you are trying to achieve in order to please God. But God's saying, no, that's not what I want from you. I want you to come to me and follow my ways. The Pharisees, they loved to heap rules on top of each other. Okay? Jesus talked about him. He said, you love to make your, the tassels of your garments longer. And you, you love to put these big things on you to get noticed by men. But you don't want to do what is right. You put all these rules on everybody else, but you don't expect to have to follow them yourself. You're creating your own way to heaven. We live in a society that says that if you think God is real, then you can get there any way you want. But let me tell you what. There's a clear, definitive guide on what it means to truly follow Jesus, and it's found right here. We don't have to make the rules up. What is it that makes God love us? What is it that makes God offer us the reward and the rest that I've been talking about this morning? It's his love for you. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. His love for you is unconditional. He's already proven his love for you. We celebrated at Christmas that Jesus Christ was born. God sent his son to become flesh to dwell among us. In Easter, we'll celebrate the the. the, 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 the death, but not only the death, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's all you need. Maybe there's a discontentment in your life because you've been carrying somebody else's yoke, and you need to put that yoke off of you and take up the one that Jesus offers you instead. If you've ever thought, if I just pray enough, If I just give enough, if I just start doing, or if I just stop doing, maybe this is you. This kind of thinking all begins in the wrong place. I, I, I. It's not about you doing and not doing. It's about what God is doing. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Put down the unnecessary standards you have created in order to deserve God's love. Take up Christ's standard. Repent and believe. I found this in a commentary. It sums this up so well. Christ's yoke means the obligation to receive him as the Messiah, to believe in what he's taught, and in all things to be conformed to his word and to his spirit. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. 
as I was studying all of this, I began to ask the question, what does this rest really look like? You know, we can begin to experience it right now. Here on earth, we begin to experience the blessings of knowing Christ, the restoration of our souls. God has done so much in my life since this summer. He's, he's brought me so far. I've still got a long ways to go in, in my restoration, but he's blessed me. But this, this scripture here gives me so much comfort because this is what it says in Revelation 14, 13, talking about a scene from inside of heaven. John writes, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors. If you're still weary right now, take heart. Because one day you'll experience a fullness of rest with no end. But you don't have to wait. Heavenly Father, as we finish this time together, maybe there's a piece of me that you need to deal with. Maybe there's something inside of my life that you need to change in order for me to fully experience the rest that you offer. Father, I pray that you would open my eyes. Father, if there's anyone here today who has never even begun to taste the reward that you have, the rest that you offer, if there's someone here who needs to come to you in repentance for the first time, who just needs to say, God, please come into my life. Father, I pray you would pull on their heart with your Holy Spirit. Father, for those who have walked with you for many miles and are weary from their journey, Comfort them again today with these words. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Father, we thank you for your word, and most importantly, for the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. If there's something about this that spoke to you, and you need somebody to talk to, get a good pastor there and Pastor Mike. He'll be here until the beginning of the second service, so if you need him, just corner him up, ask him about it, all right? Love y'all, thank you so much.